We are here on a Wednesday night, and it is the 9th of November, the 9th of November. On Wednesdays, we're trying to get through Deuteronomy, and I was showing several of you the uh, this little book. I, it's not really little. It's a, a nice book that I got at Scripture Truth called One Volume Seminary, and it's got a chapter, a lesson in here that is called Survey of the Old and New Testaments. So do you understand what that means? A survey, basically an overview. It's just uh, giving you a, just an idea of what the books are about. So in, when, in Genesis in this book, it's quite a bit, but when you get over to where they go over Deuteronomy, it's just one little paragraph, and it says, and, you, and this will sound familiar, the Greek term Deuteronomy means second law and refers to the three prophetic messages of Moses recorded in the book in a form resembling an ancient, and this is, they got some really big words in this but some type of a treaty. Moses assures Israel of God's covenant love. He warns of judgment for disobedience, but promises that if they repent, God will restore his covenant people to the promised land. Before his death, Moses passes the mantle of leadership to Joshua. The word... The name Joshua, do you know what it means? Do you know the meaning of Joshua? Savior. Hmm? Savior. Jehovah saves. You know the meaning of Jesus? Jehovah saves. That's, it's basically the same meaning. So um, it says repent. What does repent mean? Do you know what the word repent means? What did you say? Turn away. Turn away? Uh, yeah, so if you've made up your mind that you're going to go over to that house and you start heading that direction and then you see something that scares you and you change your mind and you decide you're not going to that house, you have repented of that decision to go. So to repent basically means to turn around and go the other direction or go a different way. When, when you tell someone to repent, what are they supposed to do? Unless you tell them what to repent to or from, they, they're heading in the wrong direction, you tell them... You, and we would normally, we wouldn't say, repent, you need to repent, unless we're talking Bible and we're being religious. What we would tell somebody is, if, they're, if whatever their method is to living life and uh, getting to their ultimate goal of heaven one day, and they're doing it the wrong way, we might say, instead of repent, we might say, you need to believe 
in Jesus Christ. You need to, you need to do it that way. Your way is wrong. So you can say, believe, or you can say, repent. You need to repent from your way of, of accomplishing this goal and do it the way Jesus would, would lead you to heaven. Remember, we, we, uh, we're talking about uh, the book of remembrance. This Deuteronomy is the book of remembrance. The first three chapters are Moses talking about things that have happened in the past, and I read off to you all those places throughout Deuteronomy that's either said, uh, don't forget, or it might say, remember. It's, it's, it's saying the, basically the same thing. Don't forget is the negative way of saying it, and remember is the positive way. With the word repent, that would be the negative way of saying it. You're, you're pointing out that what they're doing is wrong when you say you need to repent. That would be the negative way of saying you need to believe. Let me show you what you need to believe. Believe would be the positive way of saying it. So there might be somebody who knows the Bible really well and they may tell you uh, repentance is required for, for true salvation. So they've been taught that. So if they say repentance is required, you could say, I thought believing was required. It's basically the same thing. They're looking at it in a negative way. You're looking at it in a positive way. So you take a coin, heads or tails. It's the same coin, but how are you going to look at it? You're going to look at it from the tail side or the head side. Repent and believe, in my opinion, is one side of the coin or the other. So I like to, we, we did this several Wednesdays ago, a long time ago. We talked about how many times the word, I don't know, we may not have done repent. I probably said it, but it might have been on a Sunday. But when you have someone that's new in the faith, I don't know how many times, how many different people that I have listened to got Bible teaching from, and if you have a new person and they come to you and they say, I'm new at this, I've got this Bible here, where do I start? What should I read first? What's the most important thing to read? I have heard so many leaders or spiritual leaders, do you know what, what I've heard more than anything, where you should start? Can you guess? Book of John. I mean, I've heard it from so many people. They'll tell a new believer, or a new, maybe they're not even a believer yet. They just got a hold of a Bible, and they're interested. It's like, what do I read first? Well, it's not even the first book of the New Testament. Then you have all the Old Testament. But with somebody new, do you want them to try to read all the way through the Old Testament? Now, understanding Genesis is critical for all of us to really know the Bible. But would you tell somebody, sit down and read Deuteronomy? <coughs> Probably not. Now, why would you tell somebody to read the book of John, the Gospel of John? Why would that be 
overwhelmingly the advice of, of pastors and just Sunday school teachers, that those types of people would recommend reading John first. <clears throat> Do you know why? It's all about belief. You can't hardly read John without falling in love with Jesus. Yeah. It shows Jesus as the Son of God. You know, Matthew shows Jesus as King of the Jews. He's king. He show, it opens up with uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That he, he's going to set up his kingdom. And then it is forcefully taken from him. And he is, the, the, the king of that kingdom is taken away and crucified. The Gospel of Mark shows Jesus as a servant. He is the servant of God. He came down here to be a servant for us and to show us the way to be a servant. In, in Luke, we see him as the son of man. Very much, all, I, I, I really like the Gospel of Luke. Love it. And I think it's because it shows Jesus as a person, a human being walking. It's, it's, you see Jesus being born, you know, a little baby. You, you see him uh, so much of his childhood, or, or being a baby, and how he was born into this world. There's so many ways that God could have manifest himself in the flesh. You know, he could have been just appear as an angel type figure, and then that was Jesus. But no, he had to put Jesus inside of a young woman's womb. He was conceived in the womb. He was in that womb for nine months. He was born like everybody else. Look at the humanness of Jesus in Luke. But you go to John, you don't see any of that. It's, it goes way, way before being born in Bethlehem. But yet talks nothing about being born in Bethlehem. It says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's like, whoa. Now that shows... Jesus and, and his deity, he is, he is God. So how can he be 100% God and 100% man at the same time? You know, it wasn't long ago we were talking about that. We were talking about how it's really important that we don't mix it. We don't take 100% God and 100% man and mix it together then you would, it would be more like 50% God and 50% man. Now that makes more sense, because how can you have 200%? Well, you really don't. You've got 100% God and 100% man, flesh and blood, bone, that can be nailed to a cross and bleed and die. You can't take any of that 100% of man away, and don't ever take any of the 100% of God away from Jesus. And I think the burning bush is, you're like, why? why? Why did Moses see this burning bush, and why did the voice of God come out of that bush 
Why wasn't the bush, it's just a bush, why wasn't it consumed with the fire? You know, we were talking about light, and I was, this past Sunday, and I was talking about, I know what it does, it removes darkness, but I don't know what it is. I can't catch it. But there it is. I can, it's, it's in this room. It's shining out off of stars that are in, out in the heavens, and we can see it. So light, we, Jesus said, this past Sunday, Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth, and ye are the light of the world. Salt, we can, we can get a grasp of. We can understand the humanness of us relating to the salt because that's something, that's substance, something you can get your hands on and use it for things. But this light, Jesus said, we are light? Now that I don't get. So we are a human, but yet we're supposed to be born again and we're new creatures and we're, we're walking around in a fleshly body, but yet we're supposed to have the Spirit of God in us. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be uh, working in us and we're supposed to be a new creature. It's a miracle to be born again, to be truly saved. It's a miracle. There's no way any person could ever make that happen by themselves. You just can't do it. It must be a miracle of God, a Holy Spirit getting a hold of you and changing you and you being a new creature. And the thing is, He will not forcefully take you and make you be a born-again person. But yet, we can't make that decision on our own because we're corrupted human beings, but the Holy Spirit uh, touches us. The Holy Spirit shows us things, and we start looking out at creation, all the things that God made, and we start looking at it, and we see that there is a God. And... Our ancestor, Adam, go all the way back to Adam, he ate from the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so we know good and we know evil. We also get the sin that corrupted him, we get that as well. But we get that knowledge of good and evil. And even though we know good, we know good, we still do the evil. Human beings are, we're, we're pretty bad. Even the nicest person you know, they have evil thoughts. They uh, do things out of selfishness. And that's just being a human. We all want to be warm. You know, if it's cold, we want to get warm. We want to have a comfortable place to sleep. We get hungry, and we want food for us. When you're hungry, you really want to eat. Isn't that selfish? But you'll die if you don't. you got to eat. So is it selfish? Could be. But if, if we don't understand all of the Bible, we'll struggle with, with knowing these things. But we got to be careful about who we listen to, who's trying to teach the Bible. Be very, very careful.
I would rather you turn away from people that are trying to tell you what it all means and get into the Word yourself and read it for yourself. Just know that it's very helpful to pray that the Holy Spirit will show you things. Pray and read the Word. You know, you know, whether you're a born-again child of God or not, you know that you will be better off by knowing what's in the Word of God. You know that because you know good and you know evil. And you know that the Bible is good and because of uh, evil, you, you, you might stay away from it. You might like the things that you do that are sinful. You may like it. And you know the Word of God is going to convict you of those things. So you may stay away from the Word of God and not read it. So, the Gospel of John. Does it ever say repent? Never. Well, how is that so? You know, I've had people tell me, well, without repentance, you can't be saved. You've got to repent. Well, if you're an if you are not a born-again child of God, then how could you ever know? If, if you are a sinful, no good for nothing, and, and what a Calvinist would say, you're totally depraved. And if you're totally depraved, how could you ever make that decision to repent? How could you ever make a decision to believe? If you're truly that messed up, or you can never choose anything good, then how can you repent? That's what, you, if somebody says, well, you've got to repent. Well, I don't know better. I don't know any better. How, how am I supposed to repent? I don't know any better. And they would have to go, yeah, you're right. So tell me a little bit about what I'm supposed to re repent from and repent to. And, 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 and if somebody tells you, you need to repent, say, how many times is repent in the, in the Gospel of John. Because if I asked you which book of the Bible I should start with, you're going to tell me John, and it doesn't say repent at all. And they'll look at you like, what? No way. And they'll go run, and they'll start out to find where you're wrong, and then they're going to realize after searching and searching, there is no repent. There's no repentance. There's no repenteth. There's no form of repent in John, the Gospel of John. But believe over and over and over again. So it is repentance, but it's said in a different word. We believe in the Trinity, right? We believe in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, all together making our one true God. Remember, the first, very first part of John, that gospel that you need to read first, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on, when you get, you get on through John, you're going to get over, and you're going to see, and the Word became flesh. Jesus came amongst His very own, and His own received Him not. He was the light, the light, capital L light. All that's in the, in the first chapter of John. But is Trinity in the Bible. 
Can you find the word? You go to your, uh, take a big concordance, the Strong's Concordance, got every word that's in the King James Bible in there. And you go and you try to find Trinity. So you can look up all the places in the Bible where it says Trinity. You're not going to find it. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But do you believe in the Trinity? The Trinity is referred to a lot in the Bible. Where's the best place? Actually, I just, I just told you where the, one of the best places, and that's John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Is, and, and in all, all new translations of the Bible, all new versions, that verse is, is gone. It's, there will be a 7 there, but it doesn't have what the King James Bible says. The Word, the Father, and the Spirit. That's the best place in the Bible where you can really see the Trinity, but in most new versions of the Bible, it's gone. I just thought that was kind of funny in that particular seminary. That, that book is from uh, the professors at Moody Bible Institute. And so little about Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is a very critical book in the Old Testament that I think we should know. And just because of the circumcision of the heart that's in Deuteronomy, it's a transitional book, big time transitional. Notice that Moses, he won't be going into the promised land. Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy and his uh, successor, which y'all said was Joshua, is the one who's going to take the children of Israel into the promised land. Last week we, we stopped reading at 22, and Joy was very right. We should have read at least 23. We should have read 23. That would have been a good stopping point. So uh, this is uh, Deuteronomy. Was, was it 123? Huh? 223? 2.23? In, in my Bible, when I turn the page, it's almost exactly in the same spot. I remember being right here, and I'm looking, and I'm going, that just doesn't seem right. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's chapter 1. <laughs> and my marker's on 2. All right, so let's read 2.23. 20, uh, and the Athens, which dwelt in Hazarim, even unto... Azah, the Kaphtarims, which came forth out of Kaphtor, destroyed them and dwelt in their stead. So, all right, now, some of y'all, who was here last week? Lois, was you here last week? I know you weren't. All right, so most everybody was here last week. Now, what we were talking about is... Uh, how God had given land to certain groups of people and that the Israelites, as they were going through the land, they were told, you can take, you're going to destroy them and take, take that land, but don't mess with, you remember who? Edom? Hmm? Moab. Moab and Ammon. Those were the three people groups. Do you remember why? Huh? 
Yeah? So you have Edom, that land, that was land given to the descendants of Esau. Then you had Lot, the descendants of Lot, or the other two. That's, that's uh, Moab and Ammon. So I'm going to read out of, this is just a little bit, out of uh, the Believer's Bible Commentary that talks about chapter 2, 1 through 23, which we read um, all the way to 22 last week. The journey from Kadesh Barnea to the borders of Edom, which is the first seven verses that we read in chapter 2, avoided conflict with the Edomites. The journey from the border of Edom to the valley of Zered, which is 8 through 15, avoided conflict with the Moabites. The Lord commanded the Israelites not to meddle with the Ammonites uh, because he had given this land to these descendants of Lot as a possession, verses 16 through 19. God had already... Uh, dispossessed certain giants from the Ammonites called Zamzumin, Zamzumin, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau by destroying the, the Horites, the Avim, and the Kaphtorim. See, these are hard words, really hard words. And I was, that, the reason I said maybe other people need to read, remember I said that last week? <laughs> that was really my purpose. That, that was my goal. Other people need to read because those are some hard words. <clears throat> All right, let's keep reading. Now, now remember, now I think I mentioned this last week, Moses is reminding these people that God delivered the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, he had given them the possession and there were, they, there were giants in those lands. But yet, why are they, why have they been, they're being talked to by Moses and they've been wandering for 40 years in the desert. Why were they wandering for 40 years? Because they, the two, two spies... It was 12 spies. Ten came back and said, everything's wonderful over there. It would be awesome to go there, but there are giants in the land. And Moses is saying, look, these people that aren't even considered good people, I mean, this is, this is descendants of Esau. Esau was very carnally minded. He sold his birthright because he was really hungry. That's an example of being selfish and sinful when you're hungry. The, the Moabite, the, the Moab and Ammon, we talked about how they were descendants of Lot and how that whole, how they came into existence was really bad. And they had giants in their lands, and God delivered them from those giants. And Israel's wandering around because they were scared of giants. And they were the chosen people. That's pitiful. And we, as Christians in this church age, we are guilty of the same things. 
We're like, I see what God wants for me. I've read it in the Word of God. I, I know what He wants. I see His promises, but look at the giants that I'm up against. And you're looking at things, and you're not getting to the promised land because you're focusing on, like Peter walked on the water for just a few steps because he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the stormy waves. So we have to remember that we need to look to Jesus and keep our eyes off of all of those things around us that cause us to be scared and to think about our own safety, things like that. All right, 24. All right, we'll try to get through the end of this chapter. 24. Rise ye up. No, y'all can stay seated. <laughs> Take your journey and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thine hand Sihon and Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his, and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of thee, and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. Can you think of somebody who's trembling? Look, look ahead a little bit. Can you, what did I just read? What did I read? What, think about it. It says... In 25, it says, This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. Jericho? Yes. That's a real good example right there. Because when, when they... See, Joshua ends up sending a couple spies over, right? When we get to Joshua, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, or we'll read about that. And when they get there, they met a woman named Rahab. Rahab and Rahab, she was a prostitute, and she, or a harlot, I'm sorry, a harlot. And what did she tell those two spies? Exactly what we just read in 25. We've heard the report. All of us, not just her, but everybody in Jericho have heard all about you guys. And we know what you did to so-and-so king and so-and-so king and the nations you've destroyed. And we, now you're, you're, you're right over there on the other side of the Jordan. You're, and we're the first place you're going to come to when you go across. And we tremble. We're scared of you. 26. And I sent messengers out of the wilderness of Keda, is it Kedamuth, unto Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through thy land. I will go along by the highway. I will neither turn unto the right hand nor to the left. Thou shalt sell me meat for money. 
that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink, only I will pass through on my feet. As the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and the Moabites, which dwell in Ar, did, did unto me, until I shall pass over Jordan into the land which the Lord our God giveth us. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. For the Lord thy God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into thy hand as appeareth this day. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land before thee, begin to possess that thou mayest inherit his land. Then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to fight at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him before us, and we smote him and his sons and all his people. And we took all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones of every city. We left none to remain. Only the cattle we took for a prey unto, unto ourselves and the spoil of the cities which we took from Aroer, which is by the brink of the river of Arnon, and from the city that is by the river even unto Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all unto us. Only unto the land of the children of Ammon thou camest not, nor unto the, any place of the river, river Jabbok, nor unto the cities in the mountains, nor unto whatsoever the Lord our God forbade us. 24. Starting with 24, I'm going to read out of the Believer's Bible commentary. The rest of chapter 2 details the smashing defeat of Sihon, the Amorite, the king of Heshbon. I'm pretty sure that's what Rahab said. You know, we heard about what you did to the Amorites. You can check on that for yourself. Verse 29 indicates that the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, sold food and water to the Israelites as the latter skirted the country of Edom. But the record in Numbers 20, 14 through 22, suggests that the king of Edom was completely uncooperative. He was staunch in his refusal to assist Israel, but it seems that some of his people sold food and water to the Jews. So that's just one of those places where people say, oh, there's a contradiction in the word of God. Uh, just from the story, if you read it in Numbers, and then you see it here, it says that they sold food to, to them and water. Uh, verses 10 through 12 and 20 through 23 were probably added by someone later than Moses, but are nonetheless inspired scripture. That's just his opinion. So even in this big commentary, huge commentary, very little is said about Deuteronomy. Very little. But you can see how it's all playing out. We, we might know the story of Jericho very well, but what happened to set it all up? And when you read in uh, Joshua, you're going to see a person like Rahab say things that Moses had said to the people before. 
Remember, transitional book. A lot of law, 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 all through uh, the first five books. And when you're in Deuteronomy, you're seeing law, and even some of these things I've read to you, it says the second law. Not that it's a whole new law, it's just saying it over again, saying it the second time. But there's all these places where it is different. You see circumcision, but then you see circumcision of the heart, you know, in Deuteronomy. That's just one of those things that always stood out to me, that it's different. You start to see, what were we talking about uh, last week? Was it love, the word love? How many times the word love is in Deuteronomy compared to the other, the other books, the first five books of Moses? Anybody remember? How many, time, how many times love? It was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was 16 in Deuteronomy, but maybe three times in Genesis, two times in Exodus, two times in Leviticus, it's all from memory. I haven't looked at my notes yet. And then how many times is numbers? Zero. But then you get to Deuteronomy, it's 16 times you see the word love. That should make you uh, take notice that things are changing. So the law, it, we want to find our promised land. People might say, Promise, your promised land is heaven. But did they go into heaven when they went into the promised land? No. It was a place that God promised them. What it represents to us is when we are saved, truly saved, we're born again, we enter into our promised land here on this earth. Is everything just laid back and awesome playing our heart when we get to our promised land? No. Not at all. When, when the nation of Israel finally gets to the promised land, the first thing they face is Jericho. It's a major battle that looks like, through the human eyes, that cannot be won. These, the, the city walls were amazing. They did not have the means to take out Jericho. But yet, God gave them the victory in a very strange way that no human being would ever draw up at a council of war meeting. If they did, they would get kicked out. Like, we don't need your opinion anymore. But Joshua had to present that to the people. Sometimes the things you say, you'll be ridiculed for. If you, if you believe the Word of God and you trust in Jesus, you will say things that sound ridiculous to the world. All right, so next week we'll uh, pick up with chapter 3 and just keep moving right along. It's not, it's, like I said, it's, it's, some of this is not going to be... Um, that's, you know, it's going to make you go, ooh, ah, this is so awesome. You know, it's just part of the Bible. There's a lot of places in the Bible that um, you might, in your human mind, 
think, why is this here? But it's there, and we need to treat it all as very important and uh, read it. That reference to Rahab is in Joshua 2, 9, and 10, and she does talk about those people. Mm -hmm. The Amorites, yeah. the king, what you, yeah. we, we saw what you, and we've heard what you did to those, the, those people. And yes. So, yeah. So I've, I've, I've caught myself on, a, on listening to talking about those different peoples on, a, on the podcast, you know, listen to a CD or podcast. You, it's easy to say, when you mean, mean to say Am, Ammonites, and you might say Amorites because there's so many people that are talked about. Um, and I say, and I was talking about most, I said most people, what I should have said, and I'm trying to, I don't even know why, what I was talking about, but I should have said the majority. I think it was Sunday's message when I, at the end when I was just talking about reason for separation, and I kept saying most, it, I shouldn't have said most, it was just a slight majority. It wasn't really most, but more people than not voted the wrong way on that change in the Book of Discipline. So listening to the CD or listening to the podcast is a really good way to catch your mistakes or, uh, and they may not be necessary mistakes, but you know, necessarily a mistake, but you could say it better. So it's good to uh, go back and listen. And if you ever catch me saying something wrong, please tell me right away. Don't worry about interrupting me. If, if I say something wrong, go ahead. I have a question about um, earlier tonight you mentioned or referred to John chapter 5 or 7. First John. First John. First John. Okay. Yeah, First John. First John. See, that's perfect. Perfect. Maybe I said John 5, okay. 7. I don't I'm know. Gonna, but First John. Okay. Yeah, First John chapter 5, verse 7. And that is a... That's one of those verses that, if you go back, was it, I think it was, was, I was talking about Erasmus. One night we were talking about Erasmus, and, and he didn't even, he wasn't even including that in his, I'm trying to remember if it was Erasmus or William Tyndale. Might have been Tyndale. But anyway, that particular part of, that, of the Bible, he, that person almost didn't put it in his Greek manuscript. Now, he, he was putting together the whole New Testament in Greek. And what they would do is they would find Greek manuscripts, but it would be just one portion of it. He may find Matthew, but then from another source, he may find Ephesians. So he's taking these different Greek manuscripts and he's trying to copy them into a different form of Greek because you have all the... When, some, when, when somebody speaks a lot of crazy words and you, and you might hear somebody say, it's all Greek to me, but because there were so many different forms of Greek, Koine Greek, and I don't know what all the other ones are, but when you got to a certain point, some of these people who are trying to translate, first they would translate it out of some older Greek into the modern Greek, 
And then from there, they could translate that into English, which puts your life on the line if you dare to do such a thing. Translate the Bible from Greek to English so the common person can read it. It got a lot of people dead. So uh, when you hear, it might sound funny, well, they're translating, they're making a Greek, a Greek New Testament out of Greek manuscripts? Well, isn't he just copying things? Well, they weren't all exactly the same. And it wasn't like he had a whole one. It was just different ones that they had to go find, and then they would bring them in trying to write one full New Testament. So 1 John 5, 7 was one of those places where he couldn't find a manuscript, a Greek manuscript that had it in there, and they finally found two that did, and he added it in. And it's one of the most important verses in the Bible on the Trinity. Most new versions, almost every new, I don't think there is a new ver, newer version that has that verse in it. And like I said before, it, has, it will have a verse 7, but it doesn't have those words. Because they'll take, some of them will take some of verse 6 and make a verse 7 out of it. Or other versions will take some of verse 8 and back it up to make a 7. But what's in 7 in the King James is not there. So it's, it's, it's sneaky. It's something the devil would do, real sneaky-like, you know. Well, there, I, I mentioned a while back how many, I read off all kinds of different verses that were just completely gone. Well, those might, you might catch and go, wow, they're gone. But if I said, if I say 1 John 5, 7 is missing, you can go to any Bible and look and say, no, verse 7's there. It's only got a couple words of verse 7 in here. What's that? Yeah. Right. The Word, what is it? The Word, the Father, and the Holy Ghost is what's missing. Right. All right. All right, let's pray, and we'll be done for tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. Father, we thank you for people who are interested in your Word, people who want to know. And Father, we are just reading your Word. We're thinking about the stories that we know and how what we read, like tonight, it just goes right along with some of these stories that we may have known for many, many years. And Father, we thank you for it. Help us to, help us to be able to answer. Let our speech be always with grace and Father, make sure that we remember to season it with salt, that we would know how we are to answer every person that might have a question, that might be asking why we believe the way we believe. Father, help us with that. Father, we want to be a people, a church, that no corruption has entered in, Father, that we keep an eye out for the leaven and that we purge any leaven out. And Father, we 
we just we want to be salt in this in this world, Father. To, to help the darkness and the corruption that's here, we need to be salt and light. And Father, you have told us in your word that we are indeed salt of the earth and the light of the world, just like you, Father. That we need to be like you. We need to have a relationship with you, get to know you. Father, we need your Holy Spirit inside of us so that we can do these things that you have called us to do. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.